You're listening to the E-Commerce Excellence Podcast with Joris Brion. Hey, this is Joris of the E-Commerce Excellence Podcast. And today I'm really excited because I'm going to be talking to Randy Stocklin. Uh, Randy is a co-founder and uh, CEO of OneClick. He and his wife started their company uh, from their home office with the idea of offering people a convenient and affordable way to buy eyewear online. And today, OneClick uh, owns and operates three successful eyewear brands online, and that's Felix and Iris, Sunglass Warehouse, and Readers.com. Um, and in addition to his current work at OneClick, Randy also enjoys supporting other entrepreneurs as an investor and as an advisor. Randy, welcome to the podcast. It's an honor to have you here. Good morning. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to be with you. All right. Um, yeah, just to get started, I'd love for you to tell everybody a bit about your background. Um, where did you come from in your career? Uh, how did you get started in e-commerce and how did you get to this point? I, I started my career working in software as a, as a software engineer for a, for a company that developed internet banking software. So that was my first first job out out of you know after graduating from from Franklin College in, in the year 2000 and so I spent about 18 months in working for that company that company was acquired by a firm on the on the west coast and then I I transitioned over to a company uh, named Angie's List where I spent around three years um, in, in, a, in, a, in a in a software role similar type of role and then uh, and then I then I moved on to a company uh, named Primo that uh, developed marketing automation software. And it was when I was at a Primo when my uh, when I started when I started one click with with my business partner Angie. Mm-hmm. All right, and and um, one click. How how did it get started? I mean, in, in e-commerce, did you start selling eyewear right away? Not no, not exactly. We we were looking at a variety of different business opportunities, from software company to franchising. Uh, I mean, really, we're casting a pretty wide net in terms of the type of business that we were we were open to starting or buying, and and we we launched this business on our own in the in the holiday season. It must have been around October of, of 2004 uh, when we, or, or October, sorry, October 2005, we, we launched this business that, that promoted letters from Santa Claus. Mm. So there were these personalized letters that were, we weren't actually producing the letters. We were just an affiliate site that were, we were promoting, promoting the, the, the product and sending the traffic to another a website to, for where customers could check out, uh, and, the, and the letters were actually postmarked from Santa Claus, Indiana, which is a which is a real place in the state, <laughs> which is a real place in the state that cool. that that I that we lived in at the time, and and so so we we generated somewhere in the neighborhood of one to two thousand dollars in revenue, and we thought we hit like, hit the lottery. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and and so we we said okay well we learned some things from this experience that we think we could apply to other online business models and so I I personally always had an interest in selling a physical product online and um, and so we started looking at physical product businesses as part of our 
as part of our process to evaluate business opportunities. And we ultimately found this sunglasses business for sale in Tampa, Florida. And, uh, and so we, we liked the, we liked uh, a number of things about the business, primarily the size of the product, because we were thinking that initially we would start the business out of our home uh, in mm-hmm. terms of like shipping the product. So sunglasses were, were easy to ship. So this business that we found, Sunglass Warehouse, sold value sunglasses. And that was our first. And we, uh, we, we took money out of savings. We purchased that business. And a few days later, we had sunglasses showing up on our porch. And, and we had a lot of things to figure out. Yeah. Was that already an online business or was it an offline business that you took online? No, it was an online business. It was generating, I mean, less than $100,000 of revenue a year. So it was super small. And it was more of just a, like a side project for the, for the owner at the time. And, uh, and he was interested in doing some other things. So it was a good time for him and, and a great way for us to get started. Yeah, for sure. And do you have like any advice for people that are looking to start an e-commerce by buying uh, an existing site instead of starting it on, on their own? It's a, uh, you know, it, it, it can get you past the product market fit mm-hmm. phase. Um, you know, we, we knew buying the sunglass, sunglass warehouse, we knew there was some demand. We could see that. I mean, we could look at tools like Google and, and other tools to online tools to know that there was demand. But, but actually seeing this customer base and, and revenue base, you know, that certainly validated the market opportunity from, from our perspective. So I, there's there's certainly value in 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 getting some some level of market validation early on. I, you know, I would look at if 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 I were buying a business today, I would be looking very closely. I mean, I'll start with the people, right? The people mm-hmm. that you're buying the business from. Do they is there is there good value alignment? Do you feel like they're good people and, and, and they, they have high integrity because if, if that's the case, then um, you, you're likely going to be going through some navigating some tough conversations with them as you, as you, as you work through the transaction. So you want to work with good people and, and you also want to know that they were, you know, taking care of their, their financials appropriately and, and, doing their best to, to cover any, you know, legal, legal gaps, that sort of thing. So just making sure they're running, running a, a, a well-managed business. And then I would look at a consumer. I would be, be looking closely at, at what are they paying to acquire customers? So customer acquisition costs, mm-hmm. how much profit are they generating from those a customer over time? So customer lifetime value. And then, where are they generating the revenue from and, and how, you know, looking at the, the customer acquisition cost and, and customer lifetime value dynamics, do you feel like those channels are still, are there still opportunities in those channels to expand and scale? That for me would be, that's where I would start. I mean, there are clearly a lot of other, a lot of other factors at play, but, but I really try to understand uh, early on are the good people, and in looking at the the customer acquisition costs and lifetime value data, you can really get a sense for by channel. You can really get a sense for 
at least looking at the business through through that lens, how much scale there is. And then I would also try to understand that the, the market opportunity. I try to size the market and make sure I was comfortable with with the with the with the total addressable market. Yeah. Very, very high level. I mean, there's so many other things that we of could course. we could spend an entire you know week on on this topic, but but hopefully that gives the your listeners a few a few nuggets to to look at it at a high level. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but so it it started with with just one brand, and and how how did it evolve to three brands? Well, it was a, it was a winding road. We we started with the one brand. We tried some dropship businesses, um, and for 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 folks that don't know what a dropship business is, it's where you you buy the product from a from a supplier and they ship the product on your behalf. And and that model for us just didn't the the brands that we purchased that were or, or we started was a combination of launching our own brands and acquiring brands. That model didn't work well for us because we we really like to have control, full control end to end of the customer experience. So it's such a big part of of what we do here. I and mean, we have a team called customer happiness. We're super passionate about delivering an amazing experience. And and not in, it, it wasn't like this in every case, but by and large, we we just were having a difficult time getting aligned with our supplier partners on expectations around the customer experience and so we we didn't really enjoy operating those businesses as much as the businesses we were operating where we controlled the full experience so so we tried a few of those things out we tried a few of those different businesses out and then we started then we started bolting on fashion accessory brands so socks scarves handbags neckties Mm -hmm. Practically any fashion accessory that you can imagine, uh, we we likely sold it at one point, and that actually that business model was was really starting to scale. It was doing well, and then we in twenty in two thousand and twelve. So from two thousand and so we acquired the sunglasses business in two thousand and six. From two thousand and six to two thousand and eight, we experimented with some dropship businesses. And then from 2008 until roughly 2013, we we started to, to to hone in on businesses where we could control the full experience, and that were in the eyewear and accessories markets. And, mm-hmm. and then in 2012, the Google went through a series of algorithm updates, and and that was a signal to us that we needed to stop being so keyword focused with our business and we need to be more brand focused. And in doing so that, that led us down the path of, Hey, in order to build really strong brands, we need to be a little more focused on a smaller number of brands. Uh, in fact, we even considered one brand at the time, but we ultimately decided to, to have three eyewear brands. And, uh, and, and then by the end of 2014, we were we were an eyewear only company. Mm-hmm. Did you just stop the other business uh, activities, or did you sell those? We sold them. We sold six 
six businesses to three different buyers. And then we took the cap of the proceeds from those transactions and um, put them back into to growing the business. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. But I got to gotta ask, like now you have three brands, uh, but it's all eyewear. You, you could have chosen as well to just build one shop, one brand. Why did you feel the need to keep going with three separate brands? We were, it's an excellent question. And one we wrestled with quite a bit. So we mm-hmm. had this, um, you know, we, we had this this growing sunglasses business. We had this growing reading glasses business. And they were both serving different audiences. Our sunglasses audience was, was, a young, was more of a younger millennial customer. The reading glasses business was more of a Gen X baby boomer mm-hmm. customer. And... We, we just couldn't get comfortable with one brand that could that could talk to those different audiences effectively. Mm-hmm. And so that was the, and, and we also had uh, around that time we had, we had acquired the readers.com domain name and, and we really liked the opportunity with that domain in the, in the reader space Mm-hmm. And, and we didn't feel like we could effectively sell sunglasses on readers.com. Now we sell sun readers, but selling sunglasses to a, a younger consumer on readers.com didn't seem like it would be very authentic and just didn't seem to make much sense. So anyway, so those are some of the, those are some of the things that we factored into the decision. Yeah, of course. I, I can imagine it's, it's not always easy running those three at a time. Um, what are, yeah, the, the, the main pros and cons of having the three brands? Well, the pros, you've already touched upon that, of course, but what, what's the main disadvantage of having those three separate brands? It's, uh, this, is, this is a topic that's, that's gotten a lot of uh, attention uh, really since we, we, since we made the decision to only focus on three brands. In the in the in the topic is I would say most of the discussion around this topic is has focused on how do you manage the brands. So do you? And, and this has been this is this has been one of the biggest obstacles with this multi brand model is do you, do you leverage a shared resource model where you have these shared teams that 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 allocate their time almost like an agency where you, you allocate your time across the different brands and then you prioritize, Hey, you prioritize how much time you want to spend on each brand. And, and that, that is the model, like generally speaking that we, that we use here and it's, and it's worked pretty well. I, the, where this model breaks down a bit is when you want to, launch a new brand and get get dedicated like attention and focus like we don't have we don't have anyone in the building on our team that's waking up every day thinking about only reading glasses or only Mm -hmm. sunglasses or only prescription glasses and i just see so much value in that and and so we've talked about this model where we have a brand general manager or a brand manager or possibly even its own we it becomes its own separate kind of legal living breathing entity and that could be something we consider in the future but it's not something that we've done done today but 
to me, that's the biggest challenge. I, mm-hmm. The other things are, um, yeah, we haven't ran into any big obstacles other than that. But I, but but that one is that particular challenge is is real, and it's something as we get bigger and get more scales of company that we'll have to confront. Yeah, I can imagine. So you've grown three brands successfully. Um, what do you believe are the two or three keys to grow an e-commerce business in today's environment? For based on based on my experience here at OneClick, first and foremost, it's it's the team. Mm-hmm. We 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 are uh, we are so blessed here to have an, an amazing group of people that are that are aligned with with our, our mission and our values. And, and I just can't stress enough how important having the right people in the right seats uh, is to, to growing a business. Uh, it's, it's so important. And just having good people, like we have just incredible human beings here in addition to people that are really talented. So that, that to me is, is, is number one. Mm-hmm. And, you know, second, I would say, you really, I mean, digital e-commerce is seems to always be evolving. So you, you need it. You really, in my opinion, you need to have a team that is that they're, they're it's full of learners, people that mm-hmm. really enjoy learning. Um, you, you need to have a mentality that you're uh, very very experienced you need to create an environment where not just in marketing but the entire team is comfortable and actively experimenting with things trying new things there's always there's likely gonna gonna be a new social platform that emerges in the next 12 to 24 months so you want to be out in front of that and, and make sure you identify those things and consumer behavior changes and so you just really need to be be willing to experiment and be nimble and flexible along the way. So those are some of the things that uh, come to mind. So team, a team full of learners, create an environment where you can experiment and be very nimble and flexible along the way. Yeah, I, I know you pay a lot of attention to, to culture, right? Um, can you explain a little bit what it is that you do? Sure. So we uh, – we, at one click, we've been very intentional about the the culture that we want to build from you know early in the business. And one of the things that I that I share with all of new all of our new team members. So I have a 90, 90 minute onboarding session that I have with all of our new team members. And one of the key points that I share during that session is that every single person on the one click team owns culture. I'm not the sole owner. Um, no one else is a sole owner. It's a team effort. Mm-hmm. And and I really feel like people at OneClick take ownership of our culture. And that's been that's been awesome to see over the years. And and for me it's when I think about taking ownership of the cult taking ownership of the culture, it for me that gets back to our mission. Mm-hmm. And it's about it's about Team member success, customer success, community success, and those are the three pillars of our mission. 
it's not like we have we have a ping pong table like we have a beautiful game room we have a ping pong table foosball table we celebrate wins we we have catered lunches we do, we do a lot of things that I that I view as perks but those things do not define our culture mm. um, our culture is about team member success are people here uh, able to achieve the company's goals and do so while perf- pursuing their own professional goals and dreams? Um, I think that's so important. I mean, just for me, it always comes down to, you know, business almost always comes down to people. Mm-hmm. And are we supporting those people? Are we supporting our team? Are we giving the resources to be successful? Um in pursuit of their own professional goals and dreams and the company's goals. And, and are they, and in turn, are, are they have the resources necessary to provide an amazing experience for our customers and give back to the community. So okay. when I think of culture, those are the things that come to mind. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm just, I'm really blessed to be part of a team here that, that, that values those things. And, and that means more to me than, than, than anything we uh, than anything we do as a company. Mm-hmm. I, I know that culture sometimes. I mean, when you start out as an e-commerce, uh, it's all about just quick growth and 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 selling and uh, getting stuff done. And at some point, people start to think about uh, culture as well because they understand it's it's important. Um, it, I mean, people who are like right now in the stage of thinking about culture, what would you recommend? Where do you start? Because it's such an intangible concept. It's, it's sometimes hard to, to get started with that. I can, I can share where, where, where we started as a company and, and, and that was really defining our values Mm -hmm. and arriving at a mission that we felt was, was appropriate for what we wanted to do as a company. And, and you, and and I was surprised at how I mean I, I I was hoping this would happen but but I was I was even pleasantly surprised how strong of a filtering mechanism that turned into for us as, as a company. So if if a company doesn't have those things defined today, I would depending on their size. But I mean, assuming they have more than probably five to ten people, I would. And get those things, and, and you can even make the argument that you that you would do that. At the founding team should do that. Um, mm-hmm. But 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 certainly early on, make sure those things are defined, and and don't just put them on a wall someplace or put them on the website. Make sure you are you are you are running your operational decisions through through those filters. Make sure you're you're running your hiring decisions through those filters like craft hiring questions and build an interview process and a hiring process around those, around those different, different elements. Uh, That to me is where, where I would start. And if those things are in place uh, and, and, and for some reason you're still not getting the right people, I, I, in culture isn't, you're not, you don't have the culture that you'd like to have. I would go back to those things and make sure that the foundational elements are are strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that makes sense, and it's it's not that hard. I think. I mean, culture seems like such an intangible and big concept, uh, but if you start there and then 
uh, start building upon that. I, I think it's it's it is doable. I believe your mission is like building the world's most people focused eyewear company. That's right, isn't it? It is, and I would say one other thing about culture. Once you get the foundation built, there are clearly tactical things you can do uh, to 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 build on the foundation of your values and your mission. And those things are around, like for us, professional development. That's a that's a big one. Your customer experience programs. We have a volunteer, we have a VTO policy where everyone gets two days uh, a year to give back to the community in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so there are a number of tactical things you can do to to enhance your culture. Uh, and, and we certainly do a number of those things, but, and, and those things are important, but but strategically, I, I always start with, with, the, with the foundational elements. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What intrigued me in your um, in your mission was like the world's most people focused eyewear company. Um, can you explain a little bit what that means exactly and and how you make that happen? We we think about that in three pillars. So we have our team members, mm-hmm. we have our our customers, and then we have our community. And we lay out a we lay out a a five-year, we, we lay out a five-year vision, and we have we have goals under each of those pillars that we that we set out to hit, and and then every five years we'll reevaluate the mission, and do we feel like we've achieved the mission based on these some of these quantitative and qualitative goals that we've set, and we'll have an honest evaluation of the mission every five years as we as we craft this new vision. Um, but those three pillars are, you know, those, those permeate across our entire organization. And so when we, when we do annual planning, quarterly planning, uh, those are the, those are the areas that, that, that get the most focus. And those are the areas that we kind of filter our, our operational plan through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I like the concept of, of using those as, as, as filters for, uh, the decisions uh, that you make uh, that probably makes a lot of normally tough decisions a lot easier. Um, I would say uh, so, and then occasionally it makes it makes decisions t- a little more difficult, and that's mm-hmm. okay. And if I would say that that to me speaks to the value system we have, like if if we didn't run into encounter some difficult decisions around our values and mission from time to time, then I would argue that the bar isn't high enough. Hmm. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, like, if, if you would start over again, what would you do differently? That's such a, such a great question. I haven't been asked that question in a while. Hmm. Uh, let's see. I would have one brand. <laughs> um, <laughs> We've talked about that already. I, yeah. I would have one brand um, that, once again, has just been challenging to navigate at different points in the business. So, one brand for sure. I would, I would have worked to. I would have would have put together. I've had some really incredible mentors and informal advisors 
but we've never had because we, we've never raised outside capital, so we were never forced to put together a board. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would have put together a a formal board of advisors early on, and I'd received that advice, and I, and I just felt like at the time that I had enough informal relationships where I didn't need that, and and those those were extremely valuable. Uh, but I but I think in hindsight that having a formal board of advisors would have been would have been valuable, mm-hmm. and I would have invested more in in our early financial model than than I did. I mean, I, we 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 had we had good financial reporting. I think for for the size of company we were, but our but the tool that we used to kind of plan the business, I felt like we, we we could have moved a little bit earlier to building a more robust planning tool. So those are those are three things that come to mind. Cool. Yeah. No. That's uh, that's great advice for other people as well because uh, you can always learn from uh, well mistakes. I wouldn't call them mistakes, but uh, learnings from other people. Um, hey, Randy, this has has been great, and and I'm sure we could go on for for an, a long time, uh, but we're. Running out of time, and I, I want to make sure people know how they can find you, learn more about you. What, what's the best way for uh, people uh, to find you or to connect with you? I you can find me on LinkedIn, mm-hmm. um, and that's that's under the Randy Stockman, all all one word. Uh, I'm on Twitter, but I'm not a. I'm more of a. Uh, I I just use Twitter to consume news. I'm not someone that's active on Twitter, uh, but but I certainly retweet and 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 like things that I find interesting and and I and I a lot of it's around a lot of it's around retail and direct consumer businesses and so so that's another way for for folks to connect with me and then our our, our website is our parent company website is oneclickventures.com and then we have two of the two brands readers.com uh, or three brands, readers.com, sunglasswarehouse.com, and felixandiris.com. All right, perfect. Um, thanks so much for being here, Randy. Yeah, thank you. Thank you again for having me. I, I really enjoyed it. The E-Commerce Excellence Podcast is sponsored by Dexter.Agency. We help e-commerce business owners scientifically increase revenue without needing more traffic. Ready to discover a more reliable way to increase conversion and, more importantly, revenue? Register for our free training, The 5 Transformations That Double E-Commerce Profits, at dexter.agency webinar.